Chapter seventy two of the Last Chronicle of Barset. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piper Hayes. The Last Chronicle of Barset by Anthony Trollope. Chapter seventy two. Mr. Toogood at the Dragon of Wantley. In accordance with his arrangement with Mr. Walker, Mr. Toogood went over to Barchester early in the morning and put himself up at the Dragon of Wantley. He now knew the following facts, that Mr. Soames, when he lost his check, had had with him one of the servants from that inn, that the man who had been with Mr. Soames had gone to New Zealand, that the check had found its way into the hands of Mrs. Arabin, and that Mrs. Arabin was the owner of the inn in question. So much he believed to be within his knowledge, and if his knowledge should prove to be correct, his work would be done as far as Mr. Crawley was concerned. If Mr. Crawley had not stolen the check, and if that could be proved, it would be a question of no great moment to Mr. Toogood who had stolen it. But he was a sportsman in his own line, who liked to account for his own fox. As he was down at Barchester, he thought that he might as well learn how the check had got into Mrs. Arabin's hands. No doubt that for her own personal possession of it, she would be able to account on her return. Probably such account would be given in her first letter home, but it might be well that he should be prepared with any small circumstantial details which he might be able to pick up at the inn. He reached Barchester before breakfast, and in ordering his tea and toast, reminded the old waiter with the dirty towel of his former acquaintance with him. "'I remember you, sir,' said the old waiter. "'I remember you very well. You was asking questions about the check which Mr. Soames lost afore Christmas.' Mr. Toogood certainly had asked one question on the subject. He had inquired whether a certain man who had gone to New Zealand had been the postboy who accompanied Mr. Soames when the check was lost, and the waiter had professed to know nothing about Mr. Soames or the check. He now perceived at once that the gist of the question had remained on the old man's mind, and that he was recognized as being in some way connected with the lost money. "'Did I? Ah, yes, I think I did. And I think you told me that he was the man?' "'No, sir, I never told you that.' "'Then you told me that he wasn't.' "'Nor I didn't tell you that, neither,' said the waiter, angrily. "'Then what the devil did you tell me?' To this further question the waiter sulkily declined to give any answer, and soon afterwards left the room. Toogood, as soon as he had done his breakfast, rang the bell, and the same man appeared. "'Will you tell Mr. Stringer that I should be glad to see him if he's disengaged?' said Mr. Toogood. "'I know he's bad with the gout, and therefore, if he'll allow me, I'll go to him instead of his coming to me.' Mr. Stringer was the landlord of the inn. The waiter hesitated a moment, and then declared that, to the best of his belief, his master was not down." he would go and see. Toogood, however, would not wait for that, but rising quickly and passing the waiter, crossed the hall from the coffee-room, and entered what was called the bar. 
the bar was a small room connected with the hall by a large open window at which orders for rooms were given and cash was paid and glasses of beer were consumed and a good deal of miscellaneous conversation was carried on the barmaid was here at the window and there was also in a corner of the room a man at a desk with a red nose too good knew that the man at the desk with the red nose was mr stringer's clerk so much he had learned in his former rummaging about the inn and he also remembered at this moment that he had observed the man with the red nose standing under a narrow archway in the close as he was coming out of the deanery on the occasion of his visit to mr harding it had not occurred to him then that the man with the red nose was watching him but it did occur to him now that the man with the red nose had been there under the arch with the express purpose of watching him on that occasion mr toogood passed quickly through the bar into an inner parlour in which was sitting mr stringer the landlord propped among his cushions toogood as he had entered the hotel had seen mr stringer so placed through the two doors which at that moment had both happened to be open he knew therefore that his old friend the waiter had not been quite true to him in suggesting that his master was not as yet down as toogood cast a glance of his eye on the man with the red nose he told himself the old story of the apparition under the archway mr stringer said mr toogood to the landlord i hope i'm not intruding oh dear no sir said the forlorn man nobody ever intrudes coming in here i'm always happy to see gentlemen only mostly i'm so bad with the gout have you got a sharp touch of it just now mr stringer not just to-day sir i've been a little easier since saturday the worst of this burst is over but lord bless you sir it don't leave me not for a fortnight at a time now it don't and it ain't what i drink nor it ain't what i eat constitutional i suppose said toogood look here sir and mr stringer showed his visitor the chalk stones in all his knuckles they say i'm all a mass of chalk i sometimes think they'll break me up to mark the scores behind my own door with and mr stringer laughed at his own wit mr toogood laughed too he laughed loud and cheerily and then he asked a sudden question keeping his eye as he did so upon a little square open window which communicated between the landlord's private room and the bar through this small aperture he could see as he stood a portion of the hat worn by the man with the red nose since he had been in the room with the landlord the man with the red nose had moved his head twice on each occasion drawing himself closer into his corner but mr toogood by moving also had still contrived to keep a morsel of the hat in sight he laughed cheerily at the landlord's joke and then he asked a sudden question looking well at the morsel of the hat as he did so mr stringer said he how do you pay your rent and to whom do you pay it there was immediately a jerk in the hat and then it disappeared toogood stepping to the open door saw that the red-nosed clerk had taken his hat off and was very busy at his accounts how do i pay my rent said mr stringer the landlord well sir 
since this cursed gout has been so bad it's hard enough to pay it at all sometimes you ain't sent here to look for it sir are you not i said toogood it was only a chance question he felt that he had nothing more to do with mr stringer the landlord mr stringer the landlord knew nothing about mr soames's cheque what's the name of your clerk said he the name of my clerk said mr stringer why do you want to know the name of my clerk does he ever pay your rent for you well yes he does at times he pays it into the bank for the lady as owns the house is there any reason for your asking these questions sir it isn't usual you know for a stranger sir Toogood, during the whole of this time, was standing with his eye upon the red-nosed man, and the red-nosed man could not move. The red-nosed man heard all the questions and the landlord's answers, and could not even pretend that he did not hear them. "'I'm my cousin's clerk,' said he, putting on his hat, and coming up to Mr. Toogood with a swagger. "'My name is Dan Stringer, and I'm Mr. John Stringer's cousin.' i've lived with mr john stringer for twelve year and more and i'm almost as well known in barchester as himself have you anything to say to me sir well yes i have said toogood i believe you're one of them attorneys from london said mr dan stringer that's true i am an attorney from london i hope there's nothing wrong said the gouty man trying to get off his chair but not succeeding if there is anything wronger than usual dan do tell me is there anything wrong sir and the landlord appealed piteously to mr toogood never you mind john said dan you keep yourself quiet and don't answer none of his questions he's one of them low sort he is i know him i knowed him for what he is directly i saw him ferreting about that's his game to see if there's anything to be got but what is he ferreting here for said mr john stringer i'm ferreting for mr soames's check for twenty pounds said mr toogood that's the check that the parson stole said dan stringer he's to be tried for it at the sizes you've heard about mr soames and his check and about mr crawley i dare say said toogood i've heard a deal about them said the landlord and so i dare say have you said toogood turning to dan stringer but dan stringer did not seem inclined to carry on the conversation any further when he was hardly pressed he declared that he just had heard that there was some parson in trouble about a sum of money but that he knew no more about it than that he didn't know whether it was a check or a note that the parson had taken and had never been sufficiently interested in the matter to make any inquiry but you just said that mr soames's check was the check the parson stole said the astonished landlord turning with open eyes upon his cousin you be blowed said dan stringer the clerk to mr john stringer the landlord and then walked out of the room back to the bar i understand nothing about it nothing at all said the gouty man i understand pretty nearly all about it said mr toogood following the red-nosed clerk there was no necessity that he should trouble the landlord any further he left the room and went through the bar 
and as he passed out along the hall he found dan stringer with his hat on talking to the waiter the waiter immediately pulled himself up and adjusted his dirty napkin under his arm after the fashion of waiters and showed that he intended to be civil to the customers of the house but he of the red nose cocked his hat and looked with insolence at mr toogood and defied him there's nothing i do hate so much as them low-bred old bailey attorneys said mr dan stringer to the waiter in a voice intended to reach mr toogood's ears then mr toogood told himself that dan stringer was not the thief himself and that it might be very difficult to prove that dan had even been the receiver of stolen goods he had however no doubt in his own mind but that such was the case he first went to the police office and there explained his business nobody at the police office pretended to forget mr soames's check or mr crawley's position the constable went so far as to swear that there wasn't a man woman or child in all barchester who was not talking of mr crawley at that very moment then mr toogood went with the constable to the private house of the mayor and had a little conversation with the mayor not guilty said the mayor with incredulity when he first heard the news about crawley but when he heard mr toogood's story or as much of it as it was necessary that he should hear he yielded reluctantly dear dear he said i'd have bet anything twas he who stole it and after that the mayor was quite sad only let us think what a comfortable excitement it would create throughout england if it was surmised that an archbishop had forged a deed and how much england would lose when it was discovered that the archbishop was innocent as the archbishop and his forgery would be to england so was mr crawley and the check for twenty pounds to barchester and its mayor nevertheless the mayor promised his assistance to mr toogood mr toogood still neglecting his red-nosed friend went next to the deanery hoping that he might again see mr harding mr harding was he was told too ill to be seen mr harding mrs baxter said could never be seen now by strangers nor yet by friends unless they were very old friends there's been a deal of change since you were here last sir i remember your coming sir you were talking to mr harding about the poor clergyman as is to be tried he did not stop to tell mrs baxter the whole story of mr crawley's innocence but having learned that a message had been received to say that mrs arabin would be home on the next tuesday this being friday he took his leave of mrs baxter his next visit was to mr soames who lived three miles out in the country he found it very difficult to convince mr soames mr soames was more staunch in his belief of mr crawley's guilt than any one whom toogood had yet encountered i never took the check out of his house said mr soames but you have not stated that on oath said mr toogood no rejoined the other and i never will i can't swear to it but yet i'm sure of it he acknowledged that he had been driven by a man named scuttle and that scuttle might have picked up the check if it had been dropped in the gig but the check had not been dropped in the gig the check had been dropped in mr crawley's house 
"'Why did he say, then, that I paid it to him?' said Mr. Soames, when Mr. Toogood spoke confidently of Crawley's innocence. "'Ah, why, indeed,' answered Toogood. "'If he had not been fool enough to do that, we should have been saved all this trouble.' "'All the same, he did not steal your money, Mr. Soames, and Jem Scuttle did steal it. Unfortunately, Jem Scuttle is in New Zealand by this time.' "'Of course it is possible,' said Mr. Soames, as he bowed Mr. Toogood out. Mr. Soames did not like Mr. Toogood. That evening a gentleman with a red nose asked at the Barchester station for a second-class ticket for London by the up-night mail train. He was well known at the station, and the station master made some little inquiry. "'All the way to London tonight, Mr. Stringer,' he said." "'Yes, all the way,' said the red-nosed man, sulkily. "'I don't think you'd better go to London tonight, Mr. Stringer,' said a tall man, stepping out of the door of the booking-office. "'I think you'd better come back with me to Barchester. I do, indeed.' There was some little argument on the occasion, but the stranger, who was a detective policeman, carried his point, and Mr. Dan Stringer did return to Barchester. End of chapter 72